This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting the program for you. Thanks so much for being here with me. I get lots of questions about no strings attached sex. How do you find that out there? You know, there's lots of opportunity because we have this ever swiping dating landscape out there, this arena that you can dive into if you would like to get lucky without a big commitment. And there's nothing wrong with casual sex. Casual sex is absolutely fine. We have this sort of hookup culture out there, which isn't isn't sort of my preferred way to look at it. But it's, you know what? There are so many people entering into these waters. There are people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and beyond that are doing the sex thing, that they're, that are interested in in hooking up and just interested in no, no strings attached, no emotional connection, sex. They might be attracted to somebody. You know, relationships take a lot of time and effort and sometimes people are in relationships. I had a patient in my clinical practice and she was in a relationship uh, with a man who was angry, irritable, he was financially controlling, he had erection function issues, he didn't want to have sex with her, you know, she felt low and down and unattractive. It's really so much harder for women when a man does not want them in a relationship. And so she went to Facebook and she she didn't really, it wasn't intentional, but she went to Facebook and she hooked up there on Facebook with an old boyfriend and and then they ended up meeting when she was on a business trip. And you know what? It was no strings attached sex. You know, she felt a little bit better about herself. She was glad that she did it. Nobody was hurt. Her husband, who wouldn't get the help, I mean, you know, it, it's really hard. And so people don't realize the impact that a sexless marriage can have on your psyche and on your self-esteem and especially on your se- sexual self-esteem. So... You know what? One night stands for a lot of people can be stress-free. Same time next year. There's many of ways that you can do that. So first of all, you need to drop your expectations around this. If you enter a casual sex scene or scenario, uh, you know, no expectations. Keep safety at the forefront. No strings attached sex can be a wonderful way to explore your sexuality without the emotional baggage that is often dragged along. And that can happen at any age. You know, NSA or no strings attached sex, it's not about deep conversations. It's not about really getting to know that other person. It's not soulful. It's not, you know, that uh, that connection, that intimacy or candlelit dinners. It's about, you know, somebody that you're attracted to. You might find them a bit funny. You know them a little bit because be careful. Feelings can get in the way. But if you think you can handle it, it's it's an okay thing for the no strings attached, but a lot of people can't handle it. A lot of, and particularly emotional people or people who wear their heart on their sleeve or, um, you know, don't know their emotions. They don't understand their emotions, their own emotions. So, you know, I always say, put the proverbial mirror on yourself, take a look at yourself and be honest about what you're looking to get out of the situation. A little thrill, a little fun, you know, Uh, it's been boring in your bedroom for a decade, you know, you're just looking for a little excitement. Know thyself, feel comfortable, be aware of your motivations. And, you know, when people are not honest about themselves uh, or what their motivations are, they can get caught up in, in feelings that were unexpected. All of a sudden their behaviors can become bad. 
And, um, you know, it's also true that you can find a uh, a spouse or, you know, someone you want to stay in a relationship with when you're just out there. And in fact, probably happens a whole lot more that you're not looking for a long-term commitment, yet you do have no strings attached sex with somebody and you end up gaining feelings. And that does happen too when, you you know, you're just playing around and then all of a sudden you want to hang around with them a whole lot more. But it's so critical that you are honest with yourself and you feel good about what you're doing. And, you know, the person that you're having no strings attached sex with also has to be honest with themselves. And so you want to make sure that you're not actually incompatible. You want to know the other person's real motives because guess what? You you know, no strings attached sex is really free of drama. But if you... Uh, if one person has, you know, designs on somebody else, different designs, they're not being honest with you. Well, this opens the door to drama. And where does drama go? Drama goes to chaos after that. So how do you find a partner who wants the same things that you want? How do you find somebody who just wants no strings attached sex? You know, you have to screen for these potential partners. And, and they're not even partners. I shouldn't even use that term. Um, but there are people online. You know, there's new dating apps all the time, Bumble and Tinder. And, um, and it's difficult to keep up all the options. But Tinder is more inclined to be, you know, it's, it's perceived as a, as a hookup. Uh, site and there's somebody who's geographically close to you, so you just get yourself in the mood, or you're just in the mood, or OK Cupid, which allows allows for lots of personalization in terms of sexual orientation, gender expression, desired relationship, and more. And so you can match. You will be matched with people who have the same, um, you know, designs as as to what you would like in that. Um, you know, you can ask people these questions and you can easily find people who feel the same as you do. You want to use specialty sites for niche interests. So there are some specialty, site, specialty sites if you're looking for something in particular, like you're looking for cougars, for example. And it might um, be, you know, cougars or searching for cougars online apparently is the perfect opportunity for um, a no-strings-attached situation. And younger man, older woman matches can be lots of fun because older women typically, um, un, you know, have a, a good sense of their sexuality. They're com- more comfortable um, with sexuality and they know what they want. They can express themselves. They've built up confidence over the years typically. Um, and also we peak sexually at different ages. So, you know, that might be something that you want to explore. But before you explore anything, it's about a tough conversation. You've got to have those in advance. And so you want to talk about STIs, you know, and, you know, how does your partner feel about an STI? Are they okay to, or your potential partner, are they okay to wear a condom? Are they okay to be tested? Do they have the results of their of their STI testing? Um, so you want to make sure that you engage in the safer sex protocols, pregnancy prevention options, and the no-strings-attached expectations as well. These are tough conversations, but a whole lot easier to have online than they are to have in person. So it's much easier to text somebody all of this. And also, you know, stay away from the alcohol because... 
um, you know, in order to develop your skills, your game, you know, who you are, your casual sex persona, it's better to do that when you are sober than when you're not. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Always my pleasure to be here with you in our little relationship, our little radio marriage, if you will. Last week after the show, I went out for dinner with some friends. Don't ever go out for dinner with me. (laughs) It's not pretty. And uh, so I ordered my meal, which I get a lot of flack from, uh, flack for from people, my friends in particular, who say, why even bother? Um, Because I've pretty much created my own meal. I don't like any sauces. I don't like food to touch each other. I don't like spice. (laughs) So uh, we're sitting having a little girls' night out, and uh, this guy comes over, and, and he starts chatting, and... Um, and then he asks about my meal. You know, what is it that I had? He hadn't actually seen that on the menu. And I just started laughing and everybody was saying things. And, and, and so I was, whatever, just being me, I guess. And he said to me, um, you know, hi, my name is you know, Charlie. And I said, oh, hey, hi, Charlie. Nice to meet you. I'm Maureen. And, and he said, um, uh, you know, we're chatting a little bit more, all of us. And then he said to me, you're not Maureen McGrath, are you? And I said, um, well, what makes you think that? What makes you say that? And he said, uh, well, you just seem like her. Do you know her? And he said, she has a radio program. I'm like, really? I'm like, how's that radio program? <laughs> I am shameless. <laughs> Is it any good? Anyway, he says, well, she talks about some really interesting subjects. And I said, really? Like what? And he said, are you sure you're not her? And I'm like, I didn't answer him because I really don't want to lie. Anyway, he said, uh, when I asked him what the interesting subjects were, he said, she talks about marriage and relationships. And I was really surprised at that, that that is what Charlie, quote unquote, found to be interesting in this program. And you know what? It is interesting. Marriage is interesting and relationships are certainly complex. And, you know, marriage can have ups and downs. Eventually, I did have to tell Charlie that I was indeed her because he kept saying, you just seem like her. <laughs> you just seem so much like her. And so basically, the moral of the story there is what you see is what you get, whether it's on the radio or in real life. So uh, <laughs> I can't hide from anyone, even though I try. As much as I try, I have a face for radio, which is why I stay behind the mic. Uh, Nonetheless, people in marriages that steadily get better have lower cholesterol and healthier weight than marriages that stay the same, according to recent research. This was a study that was done over 16 years. It was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. And so, you know, those humdrum, boring marriages that you're kind of jealous of sometimes, but other times they're just too dull for you to, you need a little excitement in the marriage. Um, But those marriages that did not stay the same... um, were preferable to marriages that got worse. So the marriages that got better and the marriages that were boring and stayed the same, it's healthier to be in one of those marriages because the marriages that got worse over time, those couples were more likely to develop high blood pressure later in life. And what does high blood pressure do? It can lead to stroke and death, in fact. And So the marriage is going to get a whole lot worse if you actually have a stroke, and especially if you have had a preventable stroke, and health prevention is critical. 
this, as I mentioned, the study was published in the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. It's not the first to suggest a link between marital quality and heart health, but most of the research has only looked at relationship satisfaction at one point in time. But things change. You can be happy in your 20s in your marriage and miserable in your 30s and then happy again in your 40s or, you know, or settled and happy in your 50s and unhappy in your 60s. So it makes that difficult to determine whether marriage really has a protective effect on your heart, especially on your heart health or your health, or if healthier people simply are in happier marriages. And so is it that the healthy people and what what defines healthy? Um, Are they happier? But is it people who care about their health, who are active, who are physically active, uh, who care about what they consume? Uh, today I had ordered something and, and I looked at the bottle. It was a sparkling pomegranate type of drink. And I said, I thought it was just flavored water with no calories, meaning no sugar. It doesn't necessarily mean no sugar. But I said, so I asked how many calories? And she said, 72. And I said, it likely has sugar in it. And it actually had 17 grams of sugar, which is a tremendous amount. So I had to decline that and go for the water. But back to the marriage, the very interesting, one of the very interesting subjects that I talk about, this new research measured marital ups and downs over the years. And that's more reflective of the lives that we lead. Sometimes you can be really happy in your marriage and sometimes not. But they wanted to see if the ups and downs went along with changes in heart health. So the researchers analyzed data from 16 years of parents and children in Britain where the fathers were surveyed about their marriage quality when their children were about three and then again at age nine. Now keep in mind these are young, typically younger people, even though men can have children whenever, and they often do. But about 2,000 people completed the survey once at the start of the study and then again six years later. And 620 completed the follow-up analysis, and that was about 10 years after the initial start of the study. At that time, the men had their blood pressure, resting heart rate, BMI or body mass index, cholesterol, and fasting glucose levels measured, all which indicate heart disease risk factors. So these are something you should know about, guys. You should know what your blood pressure is, what your resting heart rate is, your body mass index, your cholesterol, and your fasting glucose level. So there was very little difference in cardiovascular risk profiles between men who had consistently good relationships and those who had consistently bad ones during the study. But once they adjusted for several influencing factors like age, your education, your height, your income... It was noticed in this study that there were little uh, patterns, little distinct patterns for men whose marriages had either improved or deteriorated during that time. Men who said their marriage improved over the years had lower LDL, which is your bad cholesterol, and healthier weights. So, you know, if you're in a happier marriage, you're going to be skinnier, I guess, Um, but about one BMI unit less, which is significant. You want your BMI between 20 and 25, and that was at the end of the study, compared to those whose relationship satisfaction was consistently good for the years. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, those whose relationships got worse ended up with blood pressure on average 2.7 points higher than those with with consistently good marriages. And that's critical because as this was a young cohort of of patients, of, of participants in this survey, and as they age, if that continues to go up as their marriage decreases, it can really have an impact, a negative impact on their cardiovascular health. 
So it makes sense that the changes in marital quality can trigger the types of changes in cardiovascular health and that they may not be obvious until after a latency period, until after several years. So the fact that people in consistently good marriages fared no better than those in bad ones is contradicts other research. But it's about marriage quality over time that paints a more complete picture. People in unchanging relationships they become habituated to their circumstances. And so, you know, that humdrum, that settled, that steady, that may keep them from benefiting as much as those whose relationships steadily improve. So that may help to release some endorphins, make you feel better overall. But you can't really draw cause and effect here because, it is again, again, this was younger people um, and they, a large number of people were dropped out of the study before the final measurements and those who remained were more likely to report better marriage quality and fewer health. I suppose if you're having problems in your marriage, you're not going to remain in a study. And these folks had fewer health and financial problems as well. And as I mentioned, the um, study participants are pretty young and so it's also unclear whether more risk factors will lead to more heart disease. And also, the the women didn't fare as well as the men. In fact, the impact on their Um, cardiovascular health was worse for them uh, when they had worsening relationships. And that could be the fact that men simply ignore troubles in the marriage, um, but more so that women internalize problems. And women have a tendency to internalize problems more so than men do. So there's lots of unknowns about the link between marital quality and heart health, but it does underscore the importance of working on the problems in your marriage and actually to help to improve your marriage over time. And, and how does that, how do you do that? Well, you know, you take a look at yourself, you have some insight, you actually, you know, take responsibility for your actions. You also get the help that you need, whether it be a medical condition or a psychological condition. You can go to talk therapy, you can seek um, marriage counseling. There are so many ways. So my advice to you is, Keep on keeping on. Get that marriage improving every single day. I am Maureen McGrath, and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you, talking about sex. Uh, somebody's got to. This is the, what did somebody say to me? They said that sex is the most popular taboo subject. Everyone wants to talk about it, but they're afraid to talk about it. They're interested in it, but they're afraid to talk about it. Anyway, I do that for you. But I'm happy if you want to engage in sex talk as well. Go for it. It's kind of fun. I want to talk about contraception. Not every woman can tolerate the oral contraceptive pill. There are barrier methods of contraceptives. They are physical or chemical barriers that are designed to stop sperm from entering a woman's uterus. Barrier methods are, for example, the male condom. That is, of course, as you know, it's a like a tube of thin material. Typically, it is latex or rubber. It's rolled over your erect penis. It's a whole lot easier to put it on an erect penis before there's any contact um, with the vagina or the vulva. The male condom is the most common barrier method. We also have the female condom. That is about seven inches long. It's a pouch made of polyurethane. It has two flexible rings on it, and it is inserted into the vagina prior to intercourse. And the female condom covers the cervix, the vaginal canal, and the immediate area around the vagina. So it's really important, this little anatomy and physiology lesson for you. 
at least anatomy, not the physiology. <laughs> I'll let you take care of that. Spermicides are chemicals that are designed to kill the sperm. And so often people will use a spermicide with the uh, female condom or with the male condom. And they are available as a foam, as a jelly, or as a suppository. And you also would use a spermicide with the diaphragm, which is a soft rubber dome that is stretched over a flexible ring. And that dome is filled with spermicidal cream or jelly, and the diaphragm is inserted into the vagina and placed over a woman's cervix no more than three hours before intercourse. So there's a little room for some spontaneity there. And the cervical cap is a small cup that is made of latex, rubber, or plastic. And the cervical cap is also filled with spermicidal cream or jelly and is inserted into the vagina and placed directly over the cervix. Again, a little spontaneity can be used um, with the cervical cap. The intrauterine device, there's a couple of different types. There's one that contains copper that is placed directly in the uterus, and it must be placed in the uterus by a physician. Um, It must be inserted in women with no history of sexually transmitted infections or pelvic inflammatory disease, or PID, and or who have monogamous relationship with one partner. So you need to have a monogamous relationship with one partner to reduce your risk of STIs. The intrauterine device is a method of birth control that is designed for insertion into a woman's uterus, again, by a physician, so that changes occur in the uterus that make it difficult for fertilization of an egg and implantation of the pregnancy. Some intrauterine devices approved for use contain medications that are released over time to facilitate the contraceptive effect. The IUD does not stop the sperm from entering the uterus, but rather it changes the cervical mucus, and that decreases your probability of fertilization, and it changes the lining of the uterus, preventing implantation. There are differences between this copper IUD and the Mirena, or the, um, which is the IUD that um, changes the cervical mucus, and the, um, they're both quite different. Um, and one releases, um, the Mirena releases levonorgestrel um, hormone, and it's a progestin hormone from the vertical part of the T, which is it's like a little tiny little T-shaped device. Progestin acts to thicken the cervical mucus, and that creates a barrier to the sperm as well as it renders the lining of the uterus inhospitable or unfriendly to implantation of a pregnancy. And this IUD is approved for use up to five years. So that's effective up to five years. And it actually is more effective than the birth control pill. The copper-containing IUD releases copper from a copper wire that is wrapped around the base. And the released copper contributes to an inflammatory response in the uterus. And that helps to prevent fertilization of the egg. And it is approved to remain in place for up to 10 years. But but some uh, women will have problems with both of these. There can be pain and bleeding. And so you really want to um, you know, know that you are a good candidate for this. And if you have any troubles, go back to your doctor. The, your copper IUD will start working immediately. Uh, there's typically a string that comes down from these IUDs. And you want to make sure that you can feel that string. If you can't, you want to go back up back to your doctor because it uh, may, you may, you want to ensure that it is positioned properly. And, you know, you might be wondering if it's safe to just use a spermicide without a condom. Well, spermicide is a contraceptive substance that kills sperm. It's inserted vaginally prior to intercourse and it prevents pregnancy. 
and it may be used alone, but the pregnancy rate will be increased, and it is increased by couples who only use a spermicide. So you have a better chance of not getting pregnant if you use a spermicide with a condom, with a diaphragm, with the cervical cap. So it's so much better. Now, the diaphragm is a small dome shaped it's sort of shallow uh it's a silicon rubber disc it has a flexible rim and so you bend it and insert it into the vagina and it covers the cervix so sperm won't reach the uterus and the diaphragm will last several years but you don't leave it in for several years you take it out wash it uh when you put it in you want to put spermicide in first and then um insert it it's a very inexpensive contraceptive method uh the spermicidal cream can be expensive depending on where you get it there's very few side effects. Some Occasionally, women will have an allergy to the material that the diaphragm is made of. Uh, many women might report um, cystitis, or some women might report cystitis or a urinary tract infection because the front of the diaphragm presses against that urethral passage. And, and some people are sensitive to spermicides, and you, it's really best to use a spermicide with a diaphragm. So just keep in mind that it's important and that you use contraception, and there's something for you, ladies. Keep that in mind. Uh, if the pill isn't for you, then there's something else. And it's a really important subject to uh, or conversation that you need to have with your physician. Um, it's something that you want to be prepared for. A lot of uh, mothers, I find, they their daughters may have boyfriends in their teenage years, and they think if they put them on some form of birth control or provide them with a intrauterine device that their daughter is more likely to be sexually active. But you know what? Better safe than sorry. Uh, it's important to have that conversation with your daughter as well because, yes, we are sexual beings and many girls are sexually active in their teens and, and you know, they are of the age that they can actually feel um, that uh, they're attracted to somebody and they want to take responsibility and you don't want to have your daughter getting pregnant in her teenage years. And it's better to have the protection. And from this segment, you have learned that there are a number of different choices for you and your daughter or your friends, your cousins, whomever it is. Share the conversation. Share the good word. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. I I get a lot of questions about um, the new technologies for women's intimate health. And so women at different times of their lives can experience vaginal laxity, for example. That would be after they had a vaginal delivery or perimenopause or just aging or genetics or trauma to the vulvovaginal area. Uh, And then also uh, women may experience vaginal dryness, which is the hallmark symptom of a condition called genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And that leads to vaginal dryness, painful sex. You may get recurrent urinary tract infections. There can be uh, thin, watery discharge. You can also have burning or itching, and it can be very uncomfortable. Also, uh, many women leak urine at different times of their life, perhaps after they've had a baby, uh, perhaps during perimenopause or menopause, the, the midurethra loses its support. And there are lots of uh, techno- uh, advances in technology these days. Many people are advised to do Kegel exercises. You're advised to do them at a red light. Some people think that might be distracting. Um, you might forget to do them. Many people don't know how to do them. Uh, urinary incontinence is something that is not just limited to women, although it has been marketed. It's been a, a very highly 
pink campaign, and it has been marketed to uh, women. But men actually can experience urinary incontinence as well, and that can happen. They can get overactive bladder, which is frequency, urgency, and nocturia, getting up at night to void several times. Uh, So about 16.6% of the population uh, will experience leakage of urine or overactive bladder. Um, and the numbers that experience leakage of urine is, is far greater than that. You can have stress urinary incontinence, urge urinary incontinence, overactive bladder, neurogenic bladder can come with leakage as well. So there's lots of different um, issues that can occur down there. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the differences between between some of these advances in technology because I get lots of questions about that. So I'm going to start with the Genevieve. The Genevieve by Vivive is a 30-minute treatment that may change your life uh, and also uh, the life of your partner as well. Uh, if you have vaginal laxity, it often comes along with decreased sexual sensation. That may happen, as I said, because of childbirth or because of menopause. So the Genevieve Vaginal Rejuvenation, which essentially is what it is without using surgery, um, it's a clinically proven cryogen-cooled monopolar radiofrequency device. So it's, it's radiofrequency, basically, and it warms the tissues and then cools it, and it delivers gentle volumetric heating and then cools the surface down, this, that delicate vaginal surface down. And this technology stimulates the body's natural collagen formation. It's comfortable. It's one 30-minute session. Uh, we provide them at the Arbutus uh, Laser Center. And I, I actually do, uh, do the treatments, but this will build up the collagen. And so it will help with that looseness feeling, that decreased sexual sensation, and it helps a lot of women with urinary incontinence as well, stress urinary incontinence. The, so the leakage that you get with coughing or sneezing or jumping on the trampoline. So I also want to talk a little bit about the Mona Lisa Touch. So the Mona Lisa Touch is a different uh, type of therapy. It's a hormone-free novel therapy. It's a laser therapy for patients suffering from the symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause, also referred to as vulvovaginal atrophy. This is a laser device. It's inserted into your vagina. It's performed by a physician typically or I, I um, or myself. Um, it the the symptoms you may have are vaginal dryness, painful sex, vulvar dryness, vaginal itching, painful urination. And so that's a different type of treatment. That is ablative therapy. And um, so it will, but that will help to restore your vagina back to its its health. The Genevieve will give you a little bit increased lubrication, especially around the introitus. So it'll help to make uh, sex less painful. But um, it's also for, it's mainly for the vaginal laxity and the decreased sensation. Enter the Kegel throne. <laughs> this is, um, I love this thing. <laughs> and we actually have this at the Arbutus Laser Center. And this is uh, by Emcella, this device. And it's literally a chair that you sit on, fully clothed. I know, sorry. Um, but you know what? It's actually far more dignified to sit on this. It's a breakthrough treatment for incontinence. If you've been told to do Kegel exercises and they're just not working, it, because you can't really do that many in a day, this Kegel throne delivers 11,800 Kegel exercises for you in a 28-minute period. So uh, you need about six treatments over about three weeks, and uh, this will help with your stress urinary incontinence, your leakage of urine. It also may help with your urge incontinence or overactive bladder. So I actually had some tailbone pain, and uh, and I sat on it and helped me with that. It's not, it's, it is approved by Health Canada, which means it's not going to harm you, but uh, we, we use it off-label. And, of course, I use myself as the guinea pig off-label first. And, uh, and, and I actually sat on it on April 9th, and 
tailbone pain. The other name for it is coccidinia. And typically there are no treatments for it. I was having some uh, cortisone injections, but the third one didn't work. And so I sat on this chair and it actually... I don't know what it did, did something, but it did 11,800 Kegels for me and, and it's way better. But it's about blood flow. Kegels are about blood flow as well and it's about the muscle and the strengthening. So it can actually lead to increased sexual sensation. Just saying, little hint there, okay? Um, put a bigger smile on your face. And right now we, um, I'm going to just switch over because it's the end of the night and you are probably heading off to sleep and I just wanted to mention um, that your sexual fantasies, did you know that your sexual fantasies are tied to your psychological needs? You may not be feeling so sexually competent, and this is something to dream about tonight. And those who fantasize about threesomes may not feel that great about themselves overall. So dreaming about a threesome helps you to gain validation of your sexual prowess and or to help you to be perceived as sexually irresistible. So that's like kind of your your pathway to it when you're thinking about that. Maybe you're not feeling that great about yourself, that your performance isn't that great in bed. Maybe you're having erectile dysfunction. Maybe you're having premature ejaculation. Um, uh, you know, perhaps you're not feeling that sexually desirable. But if you're the romantic type in your fantasy, long languid dinners on the beach followed by hours of lusty lovemaking, is that what you dream about? You may be seeking a desire to be loved. You may want intimacy and connection. For those approval-seeking types of people, those ones that kind of always need that validation, or for people who are in charge all the time, BDSM may be your fantasy of choice because it delivers that escape from insight. So if you enjoy arousal through pain, for example, through um, you know spanking or um, using whips in your uh, bedroom or um, whatever, any one of a number of ways, this may help you to increase your attention in the moment. And so it provides you with a departure from that inner dialogue, that voice in your head that says, I'm pretty desirable, right? Okay, so that's, um, but the bottom line is that sexual fantasy can be therapeutic for the everyday stressors and the psychological needs that you may have at any given time. And our fantasies may change given where you are in life. Anyway, thank you so much for being here with me on the program tonight. It's been my pleasure. Remember, back to my Back to the Bedroom is my website. Back to my bedroom uh, for me. And uh, at back, the number two, the bedroom Thank you so much, Andrew, for a great uh, night again. And uh, also, remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.